Well, it's the Kevin Prendeville Show. Still great weather. Same terrible, terrible time to be attempting to analyze anything unbiased. We're at a time now where we are ripping out statues and the memory of our founding fathers and replacing them with something that's to be determined. And I understand that might be a little harsh to begin a, a business show, but you know that's going to be the, the start for our, our opening salvo and our, our food for the day. It's going to have to be... We're going to have to address this. The uh, History Museum in uh, New York has decided that they are going to tear down the statue to Teddy Roosevelt, um, but, and enough is enough. We need to talk about that. Uh, we need to use this show's platform to discuss that. But I promise you we will get to uh, financial topics, financial news. We've even got Apple splitting their uh, relationship with Intel, which is important in a business sense. Uh, I can't give you all the, the, the technology behind that. Not my uh, specialty. But it, sh- it should help us illustrate a problem, a wider problem in finance. And as always, we've got U.S. and China talks that could be heating up and setting the stage for the second half of the Trump presidency, should that come to fruition. This is the Kevin Prendeville Show. Stay with us. All right. So the opening salvo. It's the time where we set the stage for what we're going to be discussing for the rest of the show. Uh, it, it helps us not only set the tone, but it also provides us a little bit of food for thought. And I think one of the most important stories today was the fact that the Natural History Museum is going to be tearing down the statue of Teddy Roosevelt. This is not just sad, it's angering. It is no different than a foreign country defacing the American flag. You see, when they did it in Iraq, in the uh, in Iran in the 70s and 80s, under the Carter administration, and when, when they became radicalized, many Americans were outraged. I mean, that's... And, and the message, the, the point that the uh, uh, Iranian people were making was that they, you know, hated the U.S. and they hated everything it stands for, so they burned the flag. Well, again, statues are the same thing. Statues are symbols of what these men and women stood for. And now, when you talk about, let's say, the the, the Confederacy in the South, there's one side that stands on the argument that says because the South had slavery, it represents slavery, therefore we should tear down the statues. And they're not totally wrong because in some cases, these statues were put up by people who had intentions of keeping black people down in society. Uh, There was a famous one uh, in North Carolina that was erected on private land, but the whole reason it was put up was because the uh, the early 1900s, I think it was 1902 or maybe 1911, the reason it was, uh, the, the statue was erected, and I forget what Confederate general it was made in the image of, but it was the owner who put that statue up uh, hated black people as part of the KKK. So I can understand tearing it down because it didn't symbolize that general. It symbolized 
that whoever uh, created it, it symbolized his hatred of black people. And that's not something we as a country support. That's totally fine. I don't have a problem with that. When, uh, on the contrary, here in, in Tennessee, there's a big debate over taking down the Nathan uh, Bedford Forrest statue. Nathan Bedford Forrest is the guy who started the KKK. What's not known about the end of his life is when he saw what had happened. So his his idea of the KKK was not what it became. Um, it was more so that he was worried about the North coming in and erasing Southern culture. So that's what it was meant for. And it was a reactionary group, uh, and it did have, because of Bedford's military service, it did have that kind of aura about it. But when it became uh, an anti a black group when it became a racist group not only did he uh disavow himself from the group but then he also uh spent years attempting to make amends similarly to john newman who wrote amazing grace where he converted to christianity and saw the horrors of slavery and became a just a virulent uh, uh, abolitionist and said that this is wrong this is unchristian um, and, and really became one of the, the pioneers in England uh, to using the Royal Navy to actually stop the triangle trade instead of enforcing it or helping to support it, I'm sorry. So in Nashville and in Tennessee, when this statue was erected, it was actually after uh, Bedford Forrest's death, and it was supposed to be a statue of reconciliation of not a symbol of his earlier life, but a, a symbol of his conversion, his, his, really his arc, the way his life ended. And that it was a symbol that everybody, or even the people that you least expect to come out of that, that reactionary phase, that hurtful part of their life, everybody can or most people can. It was to be a message of hope. It was to inspire change. All of these things that are buzzwords today, that's what that statue symbolized. But now it gets taken down because it's associated with the Confederacy. Because we have done a horrible job at teaching and, and through people like Bedford Forrest through their lives teaching meaning, finding meaning in, in the things that they represent. We've just thrown that out the window and all you're left with was this guy did a bad thing once, let's tear a statue down. And that brings us to Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt never owned slaves. Teddy Roosevelt, I mean, all these hippies that are trying to destroy his uh, his statue, hey, he created the National Park Service. He preserved acres upon acres, hundreds of thousands of it. He kept it away from uh, factory owners at a time when, you know, it, it said that factories were springing up like mushrooms after a long rain. There were so many of them, and they were going and destroying farms and forests and whatever, and... Theodore or Teddy Roosevelt decided, you know what, I really like, I, I support the land. I, he was somebody who was just a man's man. He was a hunter. 
uh, he not only uh, he was a avid horseback rider, he was somebody who really enjoyed the outdoors, and he just could not stomach the fact that it was being destroyed, so he protected it. He was the one who invented the New Deal. He called it the Square Deal, and then his uh, degenerative cousin, and I don't mean that because he was in a wheelchair, but he was just, Franklin was little Stalin, but uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, created the Square Deal, which Franklin played off of with the New Deal. But Teddy Roosevelt was really a progressive. He, he was. He was pro-union. You know, there was a... Um, yeah, and I, I took history as my major in college. So I take this very seriously. Not only that, but, um, you know, that degree better be worth something. And I guess here it is. Nobody else seems to know anymore. Teddy Roosevelt, as a juxtaposition between him and his past presidents of the Gilded Age, uh, there was a, a, a railroad strike. And I believe it was Grover Cleveland came in and had the protesters fired at. And not rubber bullets or pepper spray. I mean, like, shoot to kill kind of thing. And uh, used police force to do it. And it gave a lot of credits to the socialists, communists, that kind of stuff. And you saw a rise with people like Eugene Debs. You saw a rise in support for uh, more radical wings. And, and Teddy wasn't a communist or a socialist or anything like that, or even the modern-day progressive. But for his time, he was much more pro-worker. He was pro-union. He did not use... There was a railroad strike in his day, and he sided with the... the protesters, the strikers. He didn't send the strike breakers and he didn't do a lot of the things that his past presidents had done. And that he's on Mount Rushmore, not just for that, but before he was president. He freed slaves. Spain still had slaves in Cuba. Nobody ever talks about that. And the U.S. went in after they destroyed one of our ships and they were totally unprovoked. They went in there and they thought they could pick a fight with us. And they still had slaves. So we already kind of heated about that. There were people who were saying, you know, how can we have free slaves here and let it, let it continue in Cuba? And so they destroy one of our ships to completely unprovoked. And uh, Theodore, this is before he was president, under McKinley decided to leave office. He was in public office at that time. And he and his friends from college started a group called the Rough Riders. And they took their Winchester repeaters um, and they went out there uh, on, on horseback in Cuba and were, and were scouts, frontline scouts. And I'm sure, I believe they got into a few uh, spats and skirmishes with the military, whatever Spain had that you could call the military there. He was just, he was really the, the all-American president. He, you know, he had the famous line of, uh, speak softly but carry a big stick. And that policy has just grown in more force since his day. He rebuilt the U.S. Navy. He got us ready for World War I without even knowing it was coming. Again, because of his big stick policy. 
He helped strengthen our relationship with South America. He even strengthened our relationship with Mexico, which had been uh, icy since the Mexican-American War. Doesn't matter to these people in the modern day, though. You can't even really call, you can't even call this guy a racist. And there are plenty of people in his day that were. There are people in the scientific community in Teddy Roosevelt's day who said, "If you were black, you were stupid." That somehow that that your skin color had to do with your mental acumen. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, around in Teddy Roosevelt's day, and her big thing was that they were going to kill all the black kids and then society would be better because there would be no more black people. Because she thought that scientific, you could scientifically prove that people were dumber because of their skin color, which to us in the modern day seems ridiculous because the melanin in your skin has nothing to do with your brain, your brain chemistry. I mean, we have Dr. Ben Carson, who is a, 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 a brilliant surgeon a, and a brilliant man. Doesn't have anything to do with his skin color. He's better than a lot of doctors out there. Does it matter that he's black? It would to a racist. But that's about it. So for all the things that Teddy Roosevelt represents, you know what other things that he represents? The, the other key component of his life that he represents he represents americanism he represents the the idea that america is a resilient country he embodies the american dream he's again a rugged man's man kind of our version of king henry the eighth he's got no place in the new america i guess It's sad, is what it is. And they'll come for Washington next. They already have in some cases. And Jefferson. Hamilton. All of them. Not because of the reasons that they state. Not because, in many cases, they own slaves, again, including Roosevelt. But because of what they represent. Of the ideas that they wrote. For all of our scientific advances, we're not really all that enlightened, are we? But that's been the opening salvo. This is our, our food for thought. Hopefully you learned something from that long rant. When we get into it, though, uh, speaking of the U.S. and speaking of China and enlightenment, we're going to be talking about uh, Steve Mnuchin and his thoughts on the relationship between China and the U.S. and what that means for businesses. This is the Kevin Prenderville Show. Stay with us. Well, no severe weather has hit Nashville yet, except for what you can call the COVID crisis and the unnecessary lockdowns therein. But that's not the topic of today's show. Although I'm sure if you go back on our catalog, you can see many times where I am ranting and raving about this unjust government overreach. But the petty kings and tyrants who believe that they can rule us without our consent. But that's another topic for another day. I want to bring this article to your attention, and it's from Fox Business. And Mnuchin, Steve Mnuchin, uh, has said that China should be held accountable for the coronavirus. 
Now, anyone with a brain would agree with this. And of course, the media are treating as though he's some sort of racist, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, <laughs> that's to be expected. But what does it have to do with energy? What does it have to do with business? Well, and we've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again for those who may not understand. Uh, a lot of the reason that the U.S. doesn't have as many factory jobs as it used to was because of the fact that it simply costs too much. You know, that's one of the biggest costs in business is labor. And as workers demand more and more, the price has to go higher and higher, and eventually you're going to price yourself out of the market. Then nobody has a job, and there's no business. So beginning really starting in the 70s, but progressing throughout the 2000s and finally culminating in 2008, 2009, American jobs were going overseas and they were primarily going to China. Why? Well, you can't unionize in China. Well, you can, sorry. You can, but it's uh, state controlled, which basically means that uh, you have no right to demand anything. That the state says, here, here are, here's your wage, and if you don't like it, uh, too bad. And if you want to rebel, uh, you know, you can get a free bullet to the head. The uh, workers are not treated well in the workers' utopia. And that's cheap labor. You know, if you only have to pay them two bucks an hour versus the U.S. where you have to pay them up to 15 bucks an hour, I mean, a $13 difference per worker per hour? That's a fast, man. The problem is, though, it props up the Chinese system. And the Chinese then turn against the West, not just the U.S., but they go against uh, especially Oce Oceania. Um, whether it's the Philippines, Japan, uh, you know, Vietnam, uh Vietnam's more of an ally, closer to an ally as you can get, but Thailand, of course, the former Dutch colonies in Asia, Australia, Hawaii, even, if it's its own thing, you know, the Hawaiian Islands, I suppose. You know, China wants to dominate the Pacific. No different than the Japanese 100 years ago, just now it's the Chinese. And much like the Japanese a hundred years ago, the U.S. needs to, to start realizing that they're not our friends. Nowadays, you know, it's completely flipped in the sense that Japan's and Korea is our ally, and China's not. But regardless, you know, I think it's important not only to realize that they are at fault for the coronavirus... But that to realize that our economy should not be propping them up and our ability to create great works and progress should not prop them up. Now, uh, uh, Munichin said on uh, Lou Dobbs' uh, show on Fox Business that he says, I think there is energy. I would start with Secretary uh, Pompeo when he had his most recent meeting. And he said, we need answers. He's referring to the coronavirus. 
Uh, he said it's not acceptable that China hasn't opened up, hasn't been forthright what's, with what's gone on with t this disease, and there's no question the disease started there. How did it spread through the rest of the world? And it didn't spread through China? That's what we want to know. And he's referencing the fact that the Chinese have said that, you know, it, it was nothing there. Of course, we know that's a lie. Uh, they had the incinerators running 24-7, according to a couple sources there. Not my sources or anything, but... Um, the Epic Times reported that. So we know that there is you can't you can't trust their government. But when it comes to business, of course, how does that uh, and and furthermore, how does it affect you? Because that's really what we all want to know if we're talking business, if we're talking finance. And it affects you in the fact that companies moving and the way that I haven't seen any anything that, that Trump has ruled out. If a company has to move their entire operation, if they have to pack up their factories, pack up their workers and move to, let's say they move to India or Vietnam or, or Thailand or, or some other cheaper labor market, that's going to cost quite a bit in terms of buying new real estate, any extra taxes the Chinese government imposes on them, or fees or fines, hiring new workers, establishing those facilities, constructing new facilities, whatever it is. It's going to take a bit. And I think, you know, we, we can agree that it just logically has to take a, a bit of capital and a bit of time. That cuts into profits, and when profits are cut into, at least in the normal way when it comes to stock market prices, they go down because they don't pay out uh, as much in terms of, of dividends. So in a typical buy and hold strategy, this could really hit a lot of the blue chips that rely on China for services. That compounds the opportunity cost that we mention an awful lot uh, on this show. That might help speculators. You know, they could buy into uh, a safer stock at a lower price, get out, all that stuff. But for those who have a long-term buy and hold strategy, even though the market's doing, it's kind of propped up right now by the Fed and it's cruising right along right now, the principle still stands that buy and hold strategies are going to get hurt by this. Now, again, the reason I brought up the whole geopolitical aspect beforehand is because we need to understand that this is a necessity. But on the other side, that it has real consequences. Now, do I think the whole market and everybody's talking about this angle? Probably not. And the people in the finance world, oh, they just want you to buy more stock. Again, most people have products. They don't have plans. So you're not going to hear this from many of the, the major business or, or news outlets. They may only focus on the geopolitical side or on the business side. They'll probably ignore it. But this is very important, especially when it comes to stocks. 
and your personal plan. Now, when we come back in the last segment, I do want to talk a little bit about Apple and their plans to cut ties with Intel and make their own processors. Stay with us. Well, welcome back for the final segment. Should be a short segment. We'll get out of here in just under a half hour. That should help you uh, in moving on to, to something else where you are able to learn a little bit. But then also, not to the point where it's going to overload your brain or you start tuning me out and I just become background noise. Because that's the worst. I mean, if you don't listen to me, don't listen to me, fine. But if I'm trying to, to help educate you and you're trying to listen, but I'm just droning on and on and on, and you start to shut me out, then I'm wasting my time in talking and I'm certainly wasting your time and brain power and well, I'm here to help, not hurt. Regardless, I am happy that uh, you're in, uh, you decided to download this podcast. Of course, you can uh, download this from the Kevin Prendeville Podcast Hub. We've got everything from our old Crime of the Century podcasts, which is, which is about my book, Crime of the Century, to some of the other things we tried, our documentary series on Connecting the Dots, which is about the history of the United States and how it actually can be traced all the way back to the Battle of Hastings in the early 1000s, in England. A little interesting series that we did that uh, got quite a bit of attention uh, when it was released, but it's been almost a year. I think you might like that, especially if you like the beginning of today's show, which was uh, focused on the history of uh, Teddy Roosevelt and why he's important. But moving on, we've got Apple, who's going to sever their ties with Intel. Now, Intel, 15 years ago, signed a deal with Apple, well, there, where Intel would update and create uh, processors for Apple products, whether it's iPads or even iPhones and iMacs and all that stuff. Now Apple wants to keep that in-house. Now, when it comes to a business decision, I mean, this makes great sense. You're not relying on another company that allows you to push innovation that means in terms of money, you're not paying them royalties or whatever deal that they had between the two. But also, I believe it means something a little bit deeper. And uh, let me expand on this a little bit. So essentially, this is either going to help their stock price or it's going to be negligible. You know, there might be a little bit of a gain, but it's certainly not going to hurt it. Uh, especially if they're not paying royalties to Intel and they can just roll their costs into R&D. Um, they may be able to focus more on paying that dividend and paying out to uh, shareholders. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but this extrapolation is not something that I think that the average investor would immediately think of. Now, some might. Again, I said average, and I don't want to sell, uh, uh, insult anyone's intelligence, but if it helps Apple's stock price and somebody buys it now, great. If it's negligible, doesn't really matter. But, you know, the average American's got kids and they've got... Uh, work and they've got business and they've got all these other things that are going on. Can you 
rely on them to take this and extrapolate what it means for their stock price. I don't know if I'd want to force them to do that because it's a lot of work. And as the market becomes more speculative, it becomes more and more like a job and less like, you know, a buy and hold strategy, you know, buy into the bigger companies and, and you know, earn a little bit of a profit. So for the people that have an advisor that say, you know, well, you know, uh, instead of having it be my job, I'm going to pay someone and have it be their job, fine. But what if this isn't part of their philosophy to buy into big companies when the stuff like this happens? Or if they prefer uh, small stocks, medium-sized stocks? What if they simply miss the story? Isn't that possible? So you're investing more so in your advisor, not necessarily the stock, when you pass it off to Wall Street. This, to me, illustrates why people, in some cases, are falling behind. Because there's so much here and an opportunity for loss. Maybe this they come up with new processors and it makes the MacBook that much faster and people start to buy that, profits go up, and uh, it helps uh, shares, stocks go up. And you have the opportunity cost of missing that. Can you get mad at the advisor for missing that? No, not really. Can you get mad at the average investor for missing it? No, not really. But you still have the opportunity cost of missing the gain there because there's this risk in here. And this is the casino. So to me, this story, it's great for Apple. You know, good for them. But it illustrates just how much of a gamble the stock market is. And again, I don't hate it, but it should be the icing on the cake, not the cake itself. And I think once we get our minds around that philosophy, we'll all start to come out ahead. But this has been the Kevin Prendeville Show, just over a half hour long. I hope this helped you understand the world a little bit better, helped understand my philosophy a little bit better. But more importantly, again, thank you for inviting me into your home or your car or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, I've appreciated the time that I've been able to spend with you, and hopefully you learned a little something. We'll see you on the Kevin Brenderville Show uh, next Wednesday. Tomorrow, we've got a financial lesson coming up for you. Should be fun. I hope you'll join us again.